Uh, we are in a series called Like Father, Like Son. I'm going to conclude that series today. We've been looking at the relationship between us and God. And we've talked about the Father's heart of God, our identity as sons of God. And today, the title of the message is The Inheritance. We're going to talk about the inheritance that we receive as sons and daughters of God. We're going to be in Romans 8. We're going to continue the passage that we were in last week. So would you stand with me as you turn to Romans 8? We're going to read the word together. We're going to read Romans 8, verses 14 through 18. Verses 14 and 15 is what we studied last week. 16 through 18 will be our text for today. This is the word of the Lord. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let's pray. Father God, we need you here and now. Spirit of God, come. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that would understand what the Spirit of the living God is saying to us this day. Come, Lord, and have your way, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The topic for today is inheritance. And if I'm honest, as I began preparing this message and thinking about this topic of inheritance, it all feels um, a little bit selfish, if I'm honest. We spend weeks talking about God's love for you, the Father's heart for you, how he gives to you, how he saves you, how he rescues you. We talk about our identity as sons and what that means and how we express love to, to our Father. And then it's kind of culminating in like, yeah, 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 great, but... Um, What's in it for me? Because I heard inheritance, and does that mean there's some money in this? Like, what's the, what am I going to get now from God? You know, it's like um, if you had a rich grandparent, and there weren't very many family members left in your family, and your rich grandparent really, really had a great relationship with you. It's not that you wanted them to die. Like, you wouldn't wish for that. You wouldn't ask for that. But it was kind of like, but if there's going to be an inheritance, do I have to wait for it? Is there any way we could make some kind of arrangement where we could do this earlier? <laughs> All of us, now again, we're not wishing anybody to die, nothing like that. We would never say that, never. But, you know, if we could, you know, it would do more use for me now than it would 30 years from now. So that... And this just exposes to me and I think to all of us how much we are like the younger son in the story of the prodigal. It's not that we really wish our father dead, but it is like if there's a benefit to be gained, I wouldn't mind, wouldn't mind having it now. So I just want to, before we um, get into this word, I want to guard our hearts because here's the reality. You are a son and a daughter of God. If you've professed faith in Jesus, repented of your sin, and turned to him, you are a co-heir with Christ before your father, God Almighty. And your father is rich, rich. Like, he's wealthy beyond measure wealthy. Like, like the word says the cattle in a thousand hills are his. 
See, that don't get you excited, so I'll say like, the Bugattis in a thousand garages are his. The Jordans on a thousand feet are the Lord's. Do you get, do you get it now? Your daddy is rich, rich, and he's called you a son and an inheritor of all that is his. And you can celebrate that. We don't have to feign humility and be like, oh, Lord, I would never. No, we can celebrate. God has given us a good portion. That's okay. That's okay. But we have to guard our hearts as we move into the message because an inheritance is not about what you get. Your inheritance is not about who gets it. The inheritance speaks loudest and most clearly about the one who gives it. In other words, this message is not about you. It's about him. You understand? This story, what God has done, testifies to who he is. Because to leave an inheritance, which many of us are living our lives now, figuring out if that's something we're going to be able to do. Can we leave our lives in position where there's something left for those who come behind us? That takes a lifetime of denying self and living with others in mind. That's not an easy thing to do. So few can actually do it well because it takes a day after day commitment to not getting what I want because I want to make provision for what somebody else needs. So the inheritance speaks loudest about the one who gives it, not the one who gets it. And today we're going to talk about three things that we inherit from our Father in heaven. We're going to talk about his spirit, his suffering, and his glory. First thing we inherit from God is his spirit. Our passage reads, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I wonder if any of you have a friend in your life. I got a couple of them in my life, a couple on staff. My brother's one. They're just like, they're like my personal hype men. I don't know what I did to deserve such great friends, but like when I'm feeling down or self-conscious or insecure, I can call them up and they're just like, bro, now you were made for this moment. God is with you. There's nothing in you that God didn't place there. You can do all things in Christ. He's going to uphold you by your righteous right hand. God is for you. Come on, man. You were, you were made for the moment. And it's like, man, I don't know about y'all. If you don't have somebody like that in your life, be that for somebody in your life. Okay. Because we need people who hype us up. The beauty of having a friend who's like a hype man is they don't tell you what you see in you. They tell you what they see in you. And sometimes you're too close to your situation. You know yourself a little bit too well that you get blinded by the worst parts of you. But you need somebody in your life who can tell you the best parts of you, who can speak life over you, who can build you up with faith and with confidence every day. And all I'm trying to say is that the spirit of God is our spiritual hype man. He affirms to us who we are in Christ. The spirit of God tells you what God sees in you. And we all need that because when we look at ourselves too closely, we start listening to the wrong voices. We can get really insecure in our status and our standing before our heavenly father, can't we? You know, the devil will come after everything that God has given you. And if God has given you a good gift, best believe the devil will be there to try to snatch it up from you. And if he can't take it from you, he will corrupt your perspective of it. God has called you. He has given you a new status as a son or as a daughter. And there will be a voice in your ear day after day telling you that ain't right, that ain't real, and that can't be true. Because the devil is coming for the good gift that God has given you. And your testimony, your personal testimony, your self-witness is not enough to resist the attack of the devil. He's clever, he's patient, he's cunning. You know, the Old Testament This is Mosaic Law, Deuteronomy 19. This is going all the way back. You could not 
Your word would not be trusted unless you had a second witness. So if you were testifying in a court of law or witnessing to an event or a crime or something that happened, they would not receive the witness of one, there had to be a second witness. There had to be somebody who corroborated the facts and the witness of two or three was enough to to prove that that word, that witness was true. And it's the same thing when it comes to your status and standing before God. Your word, as much as I love you, it's not enough. And you know it's not enough because you've been there. And you might even go like in those moments when you're low, you might be going like, Lord, I remember though. I remember I was baptized. Like I remember I raised my hand in church. I remember I was emotional. I was praying. I prayed the prayer. I was like, I'm pretty sure I gave my life. I'm pretty sure I'm saved. But also all this stuff I'm in mixed up in the middle of kind of tells me maybe I'm not. And your word is just not strong enough, which means there ought to be a second voice, a second witness, somebody else bearing witness to your spirit that you are exactly who God said that you are. And that voice can't be your pastor, can't be your friend, can't be your grandma, can't be your mom and dad. It cannot. Why? Because the transformation that occurs is an inner transformation. And no man can judge your salvation, not with 100% accuracy. We can give a good, good guess based on the fruit that your life is producing, But people can manufacture fruit to make themselves feel saved. Only the Lord knows the heart, which means it is only the Spirit of God that can bear witness, that can testify with assurance that you are who God says you are and that he calls you and sees you as a son or a daughter. And that testimony will be evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit in your life and the gifts of the Spirit in your life. And when you have that testimony from the Spirit of God who bears witness with your spirit, telling you what God sees in you, we call that assurance. And when you have the assurance of the Spirit, you get the authority of the Spirit. You guys have all seen or heard that guy who says something like, do you know who my father is? You know that guy? That little spoiled person? Do you, know who my, do you know who my father is? If you knew who my dad was, you wouldn't speak to me like that. Has that person not accomplished one thing for themselves their whole life, living off of somebody else's success, and in order to get anything, in order to get any respect, they have to invoke the name of somebody else just so that you'll listen to them. And we all kind of reject that. We all kind of, there's something in us that kind of bucks against that identity. Do you know who my father is? But then I begin to think about my spiritual life, my walk with God. Man, I haven't accomplished anything on my own. (laughs) Everything I have was given to me by God. And if I want to do anything of significance in the earth, I've got to call upon the name of the one who did a thing so that something can be done through me. So when I come up against challenges in my life, principalities and powers in my life, you better believe to my dying breath. I'm going, do you know who my father is? Because I don't think you understand. Because if you knew what my last name was, you wouldn't pick a fight with me. Y'all need to know who my daddy is. I come in the name of the king. And as a son and as an heir, I have the authority of my father, the authority that comes as a result of my family's name. When you have the assurance of the spirit of God within you, testifying, his spirit, testifying to your spirit, you are my child. You get the authority that comes with that. And let me tell you, you need that authority every day of your life because temptation will come, trial will come, tribulation will come. That's promised. 
But so it is promised that the Lord your God will be with you, strengthening you each and every day of your life. The first thing you get from God is you get his spirit, the assurance of your identity, and the authority of your heavenly father. But you also get his suffering. I'm a big movie buff, which I realized more so after I had kids than I did before I had kids, because before I had kids, you can just go to a Tuesday on like Monday afternoon. You guys realize that? You just go to, you just go to movies on Thursday night if you want. You just go. Some of y'all, y'all single or you don't have kids, go to the movies. <laughs> go, get a large popcorn and a blue icy and think of me. <laughs> I didn't realize how much I love, this is not even in my sermon, but, um, There's a common movie trope, it happens in a lot of movies, your protagonist, your main character, he's got some objective, a person to save, a destination to reach, something. And there's obstacles stopping him along the way, and then another character comes in. And this character always has everything the main character needs. They have the destination, the tool, the object, whatever it is, they've got it, and they come willingly, freely going, I'm happy to give you everything you need to reach your destination or accomplish your goal. And you're sitting there as if you were going like, well, this is too good to be true. What's the catch? This person goes, whatever you need, I have it. I'm happy to give it in your service, whatever you need. There's just one condition. And you know that condition is not worth everything else that comes with it. You know that that one condition is going is to change the narrative of the whole story. It's very easy to come to Romans 8, 17 with that mentality. Because what Paul is writing and what the Spirit of God is saying to us is that you are a son of God, which means you are an heir of God. And an heir is not just somebody who gets a piece of the inheritance. You've got to understand in ancient families, and still even to this day, where there's a wealthy family, where the head of the family passes away, the heir, typically the oldest born son, would get the lion's share of the inheritance. And everybody else would get a little bit. That means the, uh, the wealth generation, the property, all of that, the assets, the majority of it goes to one because that keeps the family name, power, and influence intact. If you spread it out over all the children, you just kind of diversify it and you lose the authority. So when the Bible says you are an heir, an heir of God, matter of fact, not just an heir of God, a co-heir with Christ, what the Bible is telling you is, you know how Jesus is the firstborn of all creation? He's the firstborn of God. You know how he's God's chosen precious son? He's the firstborn. He's the one. He's the heir. He's getting everything that God has. And you know what? So are you. Hallelujah. You get everything that Jesus gets. God has a good inheritance, a good portion, and you're going to get the lion's share of it. It's just one condition. Now, I love my Bible. I do not love this line. I just, I want to be honest. We don't have to be all saved and sanctified. Just let's be real. Let's approach the text as we are. There's just one condition, provided that you suffer with him. I mean, that going like, man, God, why you got to do that? I thought you loved me. I thought you were supposed to be nice to me. Why are you going to give me an inheritance of, 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 of pain? And I get that. I deeply get that. And I don't know how you've heard this taught before, but let me just take a moment to disciple you. Because when we come to texts like this, this is when we need to be mature, thoughtful, disciplined followers of Jesus. Okay? The inheritance is not about what you get. The inheritance is about the one who gives it. 
All it takes to receive an inheritance is familial association. So you don't even really have to do anything, okay? So it's really not about you. But the giver of an inheritance gives to those to whom he has a relationship, some type of familial bond, some type of connection. And when I look at those types of relationships in my life, whether that's with my spouse, whether it's with my children, even with my brothers and sisters, with my parents, one of the things that marks every single one of those relationships is that I do not only identify with their name, I also identify with their pain. Because it is in bearing with the pain of another that the relationship is proven. Because if I told you, yo, we're tight, we're family, brothers in Christ, I'm your guy, we're locked in, ride or die till the death, we're in it forever. But then you go through something and I'm like, ah, just kidding. You figure out you, I'm going to do me. When you're all good, we'll get back together and all be good times again, right? All those words about family would ring hollow. They'd all ring like, did you really mean that you were what you said you were? Because your actions don't, don't back it up. When I'm going through something, you're supposed to go through it with me. Bearing the pain of another testifies to the relationship. We bear all things, all burdens. That's love. Love bears all all things. So, um, a lot of pain, by the way, this is just a little tangent for you. A lot of pain in relationships comes from this exact thing, which is that we don't know how to bear somebody else's, someone else's pain very well. And so what we normally do is we just distance it from it. We think we're giving people space or we over-insert ourselves and try to fix them and then we make them feel like they're the problem. And let me just encourage you, it's not as hard as it sounds. It is risky, it feels risky, but when you are trying to bear with the hurt of another, you sit with them, you allow them to feel, and um, that's about it. That's about it. You save yourself a lot of heartache and pain in relationships if you do those two things. We do this with God. It's easy to look at the blessing, the authority, the favor, the power of God. And go, that's the name above all names, the name that I confess faith in. That's the one that I want. I want to be with that Jesus. I want the blessing and the favor, but I am uninterested in sharing in the suffering. But sharing in the suffering of Christ proves that we are committed to the person and work of Christ. It proves that there is a familial relationship between us and God. If we find ourselves only committed to God when things are good, will end up disappointed because things are far more often hard than they are good. But committing to sharing in the suffering of Christ proves that we love him more than we love what we get from him. It proves that we're family. And when you're family, that's when you get an inheritance. And so, yeah, we get to the privilege of Sharing in the suffering of Christ. I want to talk about two types of suffering real quick that we get to share. And when I think about the type of suffering that Jesus encountered on this earth, the first one that comes to mind is the pain of rejection. Most people did not readily receive Jesus and accept him for who he was. And the reality is that most people will not readily accept and receive you for who you are. It's just a reality. It's just truth. There will be settings, circumstances, and situations that you will not be included in, a part of, or able to partake in because of your identity as a son or daughter of God. There will be relationships that end or need to end. 
because that person cannot identify with your status as a Christian and you will not compromise your status as a Christian. Now, if you're married, married, that's not an out. If you're married, you need to talk to JC and Rosa Sherrod. But if you're dating, if you're in that space now, there's friend groups, which there may, very well likely may be, social groups, mom groups, uh, uh, sports teams, where you no longer feel accepted or apart or totally included because the things they do and talk about and participate in are things that you will not allow yourself to violate. And so what happens is you have to bear with the pain of feeling rejected from those places. It might be job opportunities, career paths that are, that are not available to you because they're asking you to do and to be something you cannot do and be in the earth. They're asking you to compromise your family, which you will not do. They're asking you to compromise your morals, your values, and your ethics, which you will not do. And so you have to bear the pain of feeling not good enough or on the outside. And the reality is that that is not fun. That hurts at a deep level with a bitter taste of rejection. And Jesus knows that pain. He's been through it, and he will go through it with you. We get to share in the suffering of Christ. Now, I wish the Bible said, Jesus said, in this world, you will have blessing and favor forevermore. If you follow me, I'll make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. But what's the reality? He said, in this world, I can promise you one thing. You'll have trouble. You'll have tribulation. You'll have hardship and difficult. John 15, he says, listen, if the world hates you, just remember, it hated me first. And the servant is not greater than the master. So you're not going to get an inheritance that I did not get. These are the words of Jesus. So if they rejected me, listen, they're going to reject you. But as much as we have to, it is our portion to share in the suffering of Christ. We also get to share in the strength of Christ. Because this is the same God who says, I'll never leave you, nor will I forsake you. This is the same God that says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. This is the same God who says, though they meant it for evil, I'm intending it for good. The same God that says, if I am for you, who can be against you? The promise is that not you don't have to go through it. The promise is that he goes through it with you. And so you share in his suffering, but you also get to share in his strength. The lie that you will hear is that as a Christian, this is the unfair portion that you get. As a Christian, you have to suffer too bad, so sorry, shouldn't have been a Christian. That's the lie. The truth is that everybody suffers this way. Everybody feels the pain that you have felt that we must feel for different reasons, through a different channel, but our promise is that we face that type of pain and suffering with a God who intimately understands it. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who humbled himself, came to earth as a servant, and felt everything you've ever felt. And he promises to be with you every day of your life. We share in the suffering of Christ through the pain of rejection. We also share the pain of our purpose. Outside of the cross, the other moment of great pain that I see Jesus encounter is when he's in the garden at Gethsemane. And he's wrestling very legitimately with the purpose that is set before him, the cross that is just before him. And if you think about Jesus, who had existed for all eternity, knowing that this moment was coming, yet here he is in the garden on the precipice of it. And he is going to God 
grieving, in pain and in torment, going, Lord, let just one more time, if there's any other way, let this cup pass before me. This was Jesus knowing that his glorification was coming because shortly after the cross would come the resurrection and then come thousands of years of human history where we would gather and exalt and glorify and worship his holy name. Jesus would be glorified among all men. There was a crown of glory coming for him. But before he got to the crown, he had to drink from the cup. And all of us in our lives at one point or another will come face to face with the reality of the cup from which we have to drink to fulfill our God-given purpose in the earth. This is the sacrifice, the dying to self. This is the burden and the hardship and the pain of being a mother, of being a student, of being a manager, being a provider, of being a laborer, being a servant. Whatever you do, there is a cup of pain that is associated with fulfilling your purpose. And before you get the crown, you have to drink the cup. I'll give you a quick example, just taking our church as an example. You know, we have a purpose for this church. Our vision is to win the Washington metropolitan area uh, to Christ. And we're going to do that through planting Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible churches and campus ministries. That's what we do. That's the work that we're called to. We are called to love and to care for this community, this diverse and eclectic mix of people of all ages, all races, all backgrounds, and all income statuses. That is the people we are called to reach. And in order to reach them, we have to be a little outpost of heaven. We've got to be something here that's unique and different from the world. So that when the world who's not here comes here or they encounter you at their jobs or in their clubs or on their sports teams, they get a little glimpse of heaven. And so what that means for us is that we have to look like heaven, which is why we are dedicated to being multicultural, multi-ethnic, and multi-generational. And we will fight for that. And we will prioritize that. And we will sacrifice things that we prefer in order to be that. That's why our worship is a little bit come on in and a little bit oh come to the altar. It's a little bit gospel. It's a little bit CCM. That's why our pulpit is diverse. One week you have a skinny white guy yelling at you. Next week you have a Korean pastor loving on you. You're going to have a guy in a man bun here pretty soon. And a woman will be up here preaching to you as well. And I hope you can receive the word of God from all of them because all of them will be in the kingdom of God. We do this on purpose. That means we will talk about racial justice issues, systemic injustice and racism in the earth. And that will make some of you uncomfortable for how much we talk about it. And others of you will never be happy because we'll never be able to talk about it enough. And you know what? We're okay. We're okay with that. We are trying to be what God has called us to be. We might not be the best version of it, but we are trying to be what God called us to be. You have the privilege and the pain of being a generous church. We take two offerings of service and we're happy about it. We shout and we clap because our God is so generous to us. We commit ourselves to being generous to the world and to others. You have the pain of being an apostolic church, which is that we're not just one local church, but we are a part of a group of churches committed to planting churches and growing and extending the kingdom, which means your favorite pastor today might be your favorite church planner tomorrow. 
And that's a part of the cup from which we all get to drink. These comfy chairs that are bolted down into the floors that don't have to be set up and torn down, these beautiful screens and all these instruments which can just stay here all week, you might find yourself pretty soon setting up chairs, setting up equipment, plugging in cables. You never thought you had to do it before, but that's a part of the cup of being a part of Grace Covenant Church. Now, I was a management consultant for 10 years, and I did strategy work for businesses. That's what I did. And let me just tell you, I would not recommend this business model to anybody. Because what we have decided to do on purpose, without regret, is to offer something that violates a little bit of everybody. To present an offering that makes nobody fully happy. Usually you find your niche, you forsake all else, and you just work that niche. But here's the thing. This church does not exist to please you. It exists to please God. And as long as we are doing and being what he has called us to do and be, we're happy and we can sleep at night. So we might not do it all right, but we're doing it the way God called us to do it. And to be a part of this house means to jump in with the work that God has called us to. It is, yes, a cup from which we have to drink. But we believe there is a crown of glory coming for this house and the work that God is going to do through it. Amen? James 1.12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. If we can drink the cup, the pain of our purpose, I believe there is a crown of glory awaiting for us, which is a very important part of the passage that we read. Yes, you are co-heirs with Christ, provided that you suffer with him. In order that, so glad there's an in order that in this sentence, in order that we may also be glorified with him. That's the third thing we get as an inheritance of our heavenly father is we get to partake in his glory. A few years ago, we had the chance to go to a leadership conference down in Orlando at the Marriott Orlando World Center Hotel Convention Center. Um, it's a, you know, one of those big Orlando hotels with all the giant conference rooms and all of that. We had a bunch of people come into it. But that's not what's great about the hotel. The Marriott down there is nice. It's fine. It's, it's a hotel. But what's great about the World Center Marriott is the pool in the back. This is a pool of all pools. This is um, like, it has everything. It's got the zero entry. It's got no lap swimming, so you don't have to get out every 45 minutes to let people pretend to lap swim. You just get to be in the pool all the time. It has waterfalls. It has caves. It has a kid's pool that's up on another level in the back. How good is that as somebody with kids? Separate them, put them up there. It's got hot tubs. It's got water slides, lazy river. It's got the cabanas with a TV and a mini fridge you can rent. They bring food. It's just, it's just great. It's just great. And it's a perfect place when you're going to a conference to bring your wife and your children to because you just tack on a few days to the end of it and you get a little vacation and you don't have to go to Disney and, and, and you, know, you know, sell your car so you can get tickets to Disney. You can just go to the pool and every day you can be happy and, in, and enjoy it. There's just one problem with the pool at the Marriott Orlando World Center. It's that it's all the way down in Florida, which means, this is not a Florida joke, although some of y'all just exposed yourself. <laughs> which means I have to get on an airplane to get there, which normally wouldn't be a problem, but I have three children under seven years old. So when the opportunity comes 
there's a very legitimate conversation that has to be had. Is it worth it? Because I don't know the last time you had to fly with little children, but we're talking strollers, car seats, snacks, download movies before ahead time, getting the air, uh, headphones. Buy, I got to buy five plane tickets now. This is crazy out here, y'all. So there's a very legitimate conversation that's like, is it worth it? But we just remember the pool. And when you remember how good the destination is, you become a lot more willing to pay the price to get there. You understand what I'm saying? There is a very real future glory that is coming to us in Christ Jesus. There is an eternity in his presence where there will be no pain, no heartache, no grief, no sickness, no disease, no death, no dying, no destruction. In fact, the tears in your eyes will be wiped away by your heavenly father. And that eternity is not just marked by what won't be there. It is first and foremost marked by who will be there. It is in his presence for all eternity. You think this moment in worship is good? You got to wait seven days to get back in here. And then you got to wait to the third song to get your soul right before you can get in the presence. And then we got to add seven minutes to our worship set so that we can all encounter together. Imagine that forever. You don't have to get over anything because he's there with you. That's the inheritance that we have in Christ. That's the future glory. And we forget that. I get it. I know we're locked down in today. But when you remember what's coming, the goodness and the joy of the presence of our heavenly father forevermore, this all becomes a lot more easier to bear. The pain of today, the sacrifice, the heartache, the self-discipline, the, the denying of your flesh to walk by the Spirit when it would be so much easier just to do what my body tells me to do. It becomes worth it when you remember that there's an eternity in His presence forevermore. But the beauty of our God is that he does not make us wait to the end of our life to encounter him. The greatest gift God has to give you, is it heaven? Is it salvation? Is it blessing? The greatest gift God has to give you is himself. It's his presence because what good is eternity if God's not there? What good is my salvation if I don't get to be with him after I'm saved? What does it profit a man to gain the world and to lose my soul? The promise of this life is not that it will always be good. It's that it won't be, but he always will be. The promise is that you don't have to go through it. It's that you do have to go through it. And God will go through it with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. I hope for the eternity. I hope for the resurrection life in the presence of my almighty God forever. And that assures my faith today. But I don't have to wait to the end of my life 
to get the greatest gift God wants to give me. I can get that today. I was sharing this sermon thought with a friend of mine last week, telling him what we were going to talk about on Sunday. Without missing a beat, he says, yeah, you know, in order to get an inheritance, something has to die. And in the natural, we think about who has to die. A relative, a loved one. We have to go through the pain and the grief of that. And that's, that's hard. That's not easy. But in the upside down kingdom of Jesus Christ, in order to get your inheritance, you have to die. You got to die to your expectations. You got to die to your dreams. You got to die to your hopes. You got to die to yourself, to your pride, to your vanity, to your love for the world. You've got to lay it all down at the feet of Jesus. This is why we say we give our lives to Christ. We don't just pledge our lives to Christ. We give all that we are to him. We must die. John, uh, uh, John, John says, uh, we must decrease so he can increase. John 3.30. In order to get our status and our standing as a son and a daughter of God, in order to receive the authority of the spirit of God, the very manifest presence of God dwelling with you each and every day, empowering you to resist the devil, resist temptation, to walk in righteousness, in order to have the strength to endure through the suffering of this earth, in order to have all of God, we must give him all of ourselves. And when we do, God graces us with the fullness of his presence for now and forevermore. All we got to do is ask. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we honor you. And we thank you, God, for the good gift that you offer to us. We thank you that there is an inheritance in this life and in the next. And that it's you.